A few years ago, I was speaking in Southern California Church on the subject of the New Age Movement. My text was 1 Timothy 4 and 1. The Spirit explicitly says in the later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. After my message, I was surrounded at the front of the sanctuary by hurting people. Sitting about halfway back in the sanctuary was a 22-year-old woman who had been weeping uncontrollably since the service ended. Several people had tried to comfort her, but she wouldn't allow anyone to get near her. Finally, a church staff member cut through the crowd around me and said, I'm sorry, folks, but we need Dr. Anderson back here right away. As I approached the young woman, I could hear her sobbing. He understands. He understands. We were able to get her out of the sanctuary and into a private office. After she calmed down, I scheduled an appointment with her for the next week. When Nancy arrived for her appointment, her face was marked by ugly, open, scratched wounds. I've been scratching myself like this ever since last week, and I cannot control it she admitted sheeply. Nancy described her horrible childhood, which included an abusive father and a grandmother who identified herself as a black witch. When I was three years old, I received my guardian's spirit guides, she continued. They were my companions telling me how to live and what to say. I never questioned whether having spirit guides was anything but normal until my mother took me to Sunday school. Then I began to suspect that my spirit guides might not be good for me. When I asked my parents about it, my father beat me and I never asked again. In order to cope with the increasing torment her spirit guides brought to her life, Nancy resorted to rigid personal discipline. In high school years, she trusted Christ as her savior, but instead of leaving her guardians, continued to harass her. After high school, Nancy turned to the epitome of discipline, the Marines. Determined to become the toughest of the lady leathernecks, she won awards for her discipline, but her spiritual torment kept pushing her mind and emotion to the edge. She refused to tell anyone about her mental battle for fear that she would be labeled insane. Finally, the pressure overcame her and she snapped. Nancy quietly accepted a mental medical discharge and retreated to a lonely existence of her inner turmoil and pain. This was Nancy's condition when she came to church and heard me talk about deceiving spirits. Finally, someone understands me, Nancy concluded tearfully. Would you like to get rid of your spirit guides? I asked. There was a long pause. Will they really leave or Or will I go home and be thrashed by them again? You will be free, I assured her. Two hours later, Nancy was free and was hugging us with an openness she had never known before.
Now I can have people over my house, she exclaimed joyfully. The reality of the dark side. There was a time when I thought Nancy's experience was an unusual exception to the norm. Although the degree of her problem was somewhat exceptional, I have come to realize that Paul had in mind every believer when he wrote, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, Ephesians 6 and 12. After more than 30 years of ministry as a pastor, seminary professor, and conference speaker, I have ministered to thousands of Christians all over the world who are being deceived and are living defeated lives. This is a real tragedy because their Heavenly Father desires for them to live a free and productive life in Christ. My own journey into this realm of ministry did not come by choice. I left a left-brained aerospace engineer before God called me into ministry. Even as a Christian layman, I never was curious about demon activity or the occult. The lore of eccentric knowledge and occultic power never appealed to me. I had no interest in them, nor any experience with them. On the other hand, I have always been disposed to believe what the Bible says about the spiritual world, even when it seems to conflict with Western rationalism and naturalism. As a result, for the past 25 years, the Lord has been bringing Christians like Nancy to me. They have been dominated by thought patterns, habits, and behaviors which have kept them from living free and productive lives in Christ. My seminary training had not adequately prepared me to help them. I fumbled my way through a lot of failure in my early attempts to minister to them, but with each attempt, I gained a new insight. I kept going back again and again to scripture, looking for the truth that would set them free. Through years of learning and ministering, I have better understand how the truth sets us free and the need to resist the devil as a well uh, submit to God. James 4 and 7 Psychotherapeutic ministries that ignore the reality of the spiritual world don't have an adequate answer but neither do some deliverance ministries that see the problem as only spiritual. God is reality, and he relates to us as whole people, and his word provides a comprehensive answer for all who live in this fallen world. God wants you to be free and growing in Christ. First, since this release of this book, I have co-authored with Dr. Robert Saucy, a book on sanctification entitled God's Power at Work in You Through the Harvest House. Understanding the process of sanctification is critical since God's will for our life is our sanctification.
1 Thessalonians 4 and 3. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, Ephesians 4, 15, and 13. If God has given us everything we need to mature in Christ for 2 Peter 1 and 3, then why aren't more Christians growing in Christ? Some are more Christ-like now than they were 20 years ago, and some are no more Christ-like than they were 20 years ago. Paul says the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and good conscience and a sincere faith. 1 Timothy 1 and 5. We should be able to say every year of Christian life, I have grown in my faith and now I love God and others more this year than I did last year. If we can't say that, then we are not growing. Part of the reason for this carnality is given in 1 Corinthians 3, 2, and 3. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? According to Paul, some Christians are not even able to receive good biblical instruction because of the unresolved conflicts in their lives. What is needed in some way to resolve these personal and spiritual conflicts through genuine repentance and faith in God? That is the purpose of this book. However, it focused more on the spiritual side of the problem. My first book, Victory Over Darkness, focuses on the personal side of the believer's life in Christ and walk by faith. The book deals with the foundational issues of your identity in Christ and outlines practical steps on how to live by faith, walk according to the Spirit, renew your mind, manage your emotions, and resolve the emotional trauma of your past through faith and forgiveness. To see the complete picture, I strongly suggest that you work through the second edition of Victory Over Darkness, together with your study of this book. Either book can help you and accompany by a video or audio tape series entitled Resolving Personal and spiritual conflict, which may be purchased in Christian bookstores or from the Office of Freedom in Christ Ministries. Before we received Christ, we were slaves to sin. Now, because of Christ's work on the cross, sin's power over us has been broken. Satan has no right of ownership or authority over us. He is a defeated foe, but he is committed to keeping us from realizing that. The father of lies can block your effectiveness as a Christian if he can deceive you into believing that you are nothing but a product of your past, subject to sin, prone to failure, 
and controlled by your habits. If he can believe, make you believe that, you're conquered. Paul said, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Galatians 5 and 1. You are free in Christ, but you will be defeated if the devil can deceive you into believing you are nothing more than a sin-sick product of your past. Nor can Satan do anything about your position in Christ, but if he can deceive you into believing what the scripture says isn't true, you will live as though it isn't. People are in bondage to the lies they believe. Just watch them. Believing in a lie will destroy your life. That is why Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. John 8, 32. I don't believe in instant maturity. It will take us the rest of our lives to renew our mind and be transformed and conformed to the image of God. But it doesn't take long to help people resolve their personal and spiritual conflicts and find their freedom in Christ. Being alive and free in Christ is part of a positional sanctification, which is the basis for progressive sanctification. In other words, we are not trying to become children of God. We are children of God who are becoming like Christ. Once people are established alive and free in Christ through the genuine repentance and faith in God, watch them grow. They have a new thirst for the word of God and they know who they are in Christ because the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans 8, 16. In this book, I have attempted to clarify the nature of spiritual conflict and outline how they can be resolved in Christ. Part one explains your position of freedom, protection, and authority in Christ. Part two warns of your vulnerability to temptation, accusation, and deception. Part three presents the steps to freedom in Christ, which will enable you to submit to God and resist the devil, James 4 and 12. The contrast between bondage and freedom in a believer's life is powerfully illustrated in the following letter from a professional man. Unlike Nancy, to all appearances, this man was a normal church-going Christian who appeared to be living a very successful life in both his family and career, but he wasn't experiencing his freedom in Christ. Dear Neil, I contacted you because I had been experiencing a host of seemingly unexplainable psychological-related attacks. My emotional troubles were probably rooted in my childhood experiences with horror movies, Luigi boards, and so on. I clearly remember fearing a visit from devilish forces after I saw the movie titled The Blood of Dra Dracula. 
My father had a pretty hot temper and was given to emotional outbursts. My survival response was to suck and blame myself for upsetting him. Bottling up my emotions inside became a way of life. As I grew into adulthood, I continued to blame myself for any and all personal shortcomings and misfortunes. Then I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I grew spiritually over the next several years, but I never enjoyed complete peace. There was always a lingering doubt about my relationship with God, whom I saw as distant and stern. I had difficulty praying, reading the Bible, and paying attention to pastor's sermons. I seriously questioned the purpose of life. I experienced horrible nightmares that woke me up screaming. It was during my time of prayer with you that I finally found freedom in Christ. I realized that God is not a harsh, ophelous disciplinarian, but a loving father who takes joy in my accomplishments.